whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. We're here to talk about your new album, which will be released January 13th. Yeah. The name is Neon Noir. Indeed it is. And I was listening to the album and I really felt the name connected to the music, but also I felt like it's a little bit neon avant-garde. Is this a sound you've been oh. carrying all your life inside or is it something you just developed the past 25 years? Oh. <laughs> What a question. I never thought that I would have an inkling of avant-garde in me. I always thought that I'm too simplistic for anything too over the top. But uh, uh, I'm glad that you found that if, if for whatever reason the, the title resonated with you. I've, uh, I've always liked the sort of the yin and yang aspect. Same with uh, all the hymn album titles and, and a lot of songs as well, the sort of coming together of the, of the beauty and the beast. Because I think that just the beauty or just the beast is very boring. You know, it, it needs to be a weird combination of weird emotions, like a cor uh, Korean films, like Parasite, where you don't really know what, what the heck is going on, but it still makes you weep and it makes you laugh and it makes you smile and you remember it. That's how I would love for my music to be uh, appreciated. We'll see what happens. But, uh, but uh, it's also, when doing that stuff, it's not so... It's not, not an intellectual process. It's a, you know, picking names or choosing names. You go with your gut, what feels the right. Because I, I think at the end of the day, that's the only way to do it right. Or mostly anything in life. You know, so, go by instinct and intuition. The conclusion of the music is an angel can kill you, but a demon can save you? Um, I don't think it's so, such a simplistic thing. It's more about, more about uh, welcoming the more, more negative aspects of life or the more melancholy aspects of life and not celebrating darkness per se, but celebrating the fact that we need both to be able to be balanced as human beings and as a, as a world, to appreciate all that. And they're, they're there for, for a reason. You know, the cold and the rain and the darkness, you know. You need that to be, appreci uh, to be appreciative of, of the sun and the warmth and, and, and the summer. As, as, as Finns, we sort of get that because winters are very long and very dark. So uh, I think it's a, you can read it whatever way you want to, and you can, uh, but it's, it's tough to put in just a couple of words because I'm myself, you know, it's me, and I've been working on that for a long, long time. I started playing music when I was maybe seven, so it's got to be nearly 40 years soon, and music has always been my lifeline. So I don't sort of filter out my emotions when it comes to music. It's, it's a combination of everything. What have you been starting with? Singing, guitar, piano, what was the start at the age of seven? Uh, I think everybody had to start with the sort of like the, the flutey thing. I don't know what to what you actually call it, but the accordion or something. But uh, no, accordion is this. But uh, my first instrument was bass guitar. That's what I started to study when I was, when I was younger. I loved, um, I loved Kiss and uh, Gene Simmons with all the blood seemed the coolest. And I loved Iron Maiden as well. And, and uh, through many, many different turns, I then ended up, ended up starting to try how, how to sing about when I was 14 or so. Sang for a couple of, couple of little projects, a little, and, and then we formed him, and it just happened. I wasn't supposed to be the singer originally, but uh, then it stuck. And now on the, on the new album, I played everything. So that's, that's quite different too for me, quite a challenge as well. And, and recorded, so there was no, nobody else besides me in the studio. So I did everything besides mixing and mastering. So it was, it was interesting, it was like a test I put myself to. So not only the album is really personal, the whole thing is really Yeah, personal. including the cover artwork. All the stuff is really like the font, the type typeset. I did that by hand. And uh, I did it by uh, ordering a kid's set of, uh, of uh, like these ink letters, like an old typecast. Uh, but it was, it was meant for children and uh, it was from Amazon DE. And, uh, and then I... Tried them out uh, as many variations as I could to get the sort of like the ink to get these blobs and these weird accidents happening. Then I scanned it all and I redrew it and then I turned it into a font. I don't know why, but I just felt that I had to do nearly everything because it, it, it was a personal and it is a personal thing. And it was nice to sort of like test your own limits. Now I didn't have a band, so I didn't have to ask permission from anybody, so I was able to do that stuff. But it took a long time. What a story. It's a, I don't know, hopefully, sort of, it's, it's interesting in, uh, that even though if you don't like the, uh, the music, you can appreciate the fact that a lot of effort went into it and the whole 
the whole world of it. So, so I think that, that that was a learning lesson for me, and also a task and a test after being involved in many many albums before, you know, because routine is a is a killer. So you have to avoid it, you know, at least when when creating something new. You know, and then at the end of that, the funny thing is that even though creating new music, it just still has a lot of hymn in it. Because I, I wrote wrote a lot of the hymn songs, and it's me singing, so so it's not a complete 180. It's like a, a double 180, 360, come back to exactly the same spot. <laughs> Besides all the personal lyrics, which song means the most to you? Um, oh, there's um. I like the title track, Neon Noir. I like that because it's sort of... Well, the long story is that how I worked on the album was that I actually started from scratch each and every song and finished it. So I didn't do the 12 songs at a time. So it was like a constant journey further into the album and also further into recording and writing. So I was like, okay, now it would be great to have this sort of a song, like a feel or whatever. And, and uh, Neon Noir was in the middle of the session. Uh, for me, and, and uh, I think it was coming out of the pandemic a bit. That was the time that there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel when I was working on the song. So uh, maybe that sort of there's a bit of uplift, uplifting. There's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel in that song too. It's uh, yeah. Once again, it's like a, yeah, asking the, the listener to to join uh, join the, the not necessarily me, but uh, uh, come over and open up the doors and, and hop into the world of VV or whatever you want to call it, you know, the sort of, sort of like t dancing with tears in my eyes, you know, the appreciation of melancholy things and, and appreciation of the, the somber things in life, because there, there are somber things in life and usually they do make, make us stronger and then usually those are the things that actually, you know, how our personalities develop. We, we develop through, not necessarily pain, but through challenges. And, uh, and so, so I find celebrating the challenges important as well. And maybe it comes from that. It's, a, it's an odd perspective, but uh, you know, I've been doing it for such a long time that uh, it, it's second nature to me. <laughs> <laughs> as we all in music history had to go through a very tough time the past mm. two, two and a half years. And I spoke to a lot of musicians asking what they did, and they said, well, online streaming, writing songs, work-related answers. Oh. But the most of us, was the first time ever that they spent so much time on their own. Yeah. How do you personally benefit from this time? Or with their families. I was, you know, with, it was such a tough thing for a couple of mates who had, let's say, a quite small apartment, a couple of kids and, uh, you know, a wife and a, and a husband. And all of a sudden, no activities for the kids, no workplace, but everybody had to work from home. It's, Like that was torture. So I, I have to, I have to say that I was, you know, I had the space, and and I spent the time. My lifeline was working on the album because myself, as well as most of the world, I got so depressed, not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow and whether we have, you know, if there's going to be anything. I didn't think about touring or none of that stuff mattered. But just sort of like the existence. Does any of this? I think a lot of people were actually thinking about, you know, does any of this make any sense? Why do we do what we do? Do we really, should we keep on doing what we do? I think a lot of people went through the same questions and all that stuff is on the album. That's where I put all that stuff. The sort of like um, existential problematics. And uh, because it was quite dark at times. But then the, that's the, the important thing, which I've sort of tried to explain is also kind of realized that, that the good example of that is the album. You know, going through all that poop, you know, throughout the pandemic and then actually coming up with, uh, with something nice. At least something, something very important to me because, because it, it helped me to breathe and to get through it. So that was a positive sense in the pandemic. But uh, they're not really, you know, seeing, it was pretty strict in Finland, so I didn't get to see my parents too much. And, and um, a lot of the stuff that we do take for granted were all of a sudden taken away. And, and, uh, but then again, the cool thing about that was to see at least back home how society sticks together because everybody lost, uh, lost the chances of doing so. Of course, there were a few rebels, you know, a few Boris Johnsons, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but the, the, it was quite sweet to see that people actually listen to the, you know, they care, care about each other, let's put it that way. But, uh, but, but that, that was the first time, I think after September 11, there was a short time, short period of time where there was this global and this communal sense of uncertainty. Where is this world coming to? What's going to happen tomorrow? Where are we? And pandemic had a similar feel, but it was way longer. So it was really odd. 
not not knowing if this is the end. Because at, at first it, it really felt like that. Sure, you yeah, didn't know how this virus develops. Yeah, nobody knew anything about it. And then most of us tried to keep, keep all that uncertainty to themselves. But we could sort of vibe, you know, sort of like feel the vibe that everybody was sort of... Oh, it was such a weird thing, you know. I, I don't want to, like, say that, you know, I, I'm not yet ready to say that it was a positive experience. People have the great tendency also to sort of, like, gild the bad memories, you know, that there was, that's a learning process. Hopefully we learn something from it. I guess it was so weird to us, and um, I count us as the same generation, because yeah. we never experienced a war. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true, yeah. And now we kind of... Yeah, and then the whole situation afterwards, it's, uh, the situation now is such a weird thing. Having a war so close, and it's... Uh, these have been odd times, quite testing times. I think they tested the character, more or less, but... Uh, yeah, well, those, are, those are the kind of times that you're... That also, I'm not sure why we're talking about all this, but uh, humanity-wise, I think it was also very sweet to see that even during the pandemic, people wanted to make babies. As simple as that, but it was quite weird. Not all of them can be accidents. <laughs> you know, the people still have the sense that they want to still build a life and they will still, you know, no matter, uh, you know, hell or high water or however they put it, that uh, whatever the challenges might be, we still want to go forward and we still want to create and we still want to live and, and, and give life and all that. It's, it's quite romantic in essence. So maybe, that, maybe that, that's a, the good thing about all the struggles we've went through to see that there is the sort of romanticism still left, that it's not all about just money, 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 and me, 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 me. And a lot of dogs and cats from the shelter found a new home. That too. And, and a lot of people realize that there are so many cats and, uh, cats and dogs at the shelters. A lot of, a lot of things that we haven't, uh, I'm allergic. Yeah, I had a, when I was a kid, um, my, uh, we had a rescue dog, my mom and dad rescued, rescued him, and, and uh, he taught me how to walk. But then, uh, he was my best friend, but then uh, he passed away when I was about six, and within a year I developed all sorts of allergies and asthma. So I, I love dogs. I've never been such a fan of cats, but uh, they feel too mysterious and sort of like, uh, you know, devious. Dogs are easier to hang around with, but uh, no, I don't mind. I love animals. We used to have a, you know, parrot and uh, all sorts of animals when I was a kid, and my mom used to ride horses, so I was at, at her place, you know. Not her place, but where she used to ride horses, you know, doing the horse thing. So, yeah, I'm an animal lover. That's that. But I didn't rescue anything now at this time. But I'm the sort of person that I don't even kill spiders. Spiders are good for the ecosystem at home. They kill all the little... So I name. I have one called uh, Andrew, because I love Andrew Eldridge from the Sisters of Mercy. So I have one, one little spider that has been living in my bathroom for about five years now. Andrew, I call him. I'm really impressed as I have a spider in my bathroom called Werner. Oh, cool. It okay. looks like Glenn Danzig. It's very excellent. <laughs> very, the, 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 like, very small, but yeah, very yeah, yeah. strong. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> They might get along. <laughs> I guess so. First I saw it was quite like, Ooh. Yeah, I, I did know. not yeah. expect it. The walls are white and the yeah. spider is really deep, deep black yeah, yeah, yeah. and quite fat. So yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. But we get along quite fine. That's good. Yeah, they do good things. And then it's, you know, live and let live whenever possible. Live, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's good. That's life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You'll start 2023 with a new album. The release yes. comes first in January. What are the other plans for the years? Like festivals, tours, sexiest yeah. man alive? Oh, well, that's, I'm, I'm not the one deciding that, you know. But, uh, uh, but uh, that competition, I'm, I won't be participating anyway. But, uh, uh, Yeah, so it's, yeah, in January, when the album's coming out, we're playing our first shows in Helsinki. And uh, right after that, after, after a few weeks, we're going to start our European tour. It's just in February. We're, we're, playing, we're playing here in Berlin on the 17th of February. We're playing Hamburg before, I think. Uh, isn't it so? 18th. 18th. Oh, so it's right, right after Berlin. Me and dates. It's just, yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. You know, but uh, uh, I started thinking about dating, but that's another story. But... Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, we're playing. I think we're playing Fabrik, in, isn't it? In Hamburg, we, we haven't played there before. I've always, it's always been uh, Doxo, then um, uh, Große Freiheit, and we did a, a little place on the first tour. And then I've been to Schlachthof and, and a lot of the, the smaller, smaller venues because it, we spent a lot of time with him on on Rebebaum mostly on that area, when uh, Hotel Monopol and all that. It was like a second home at one point. So, um, but yeah, we're going to be touring Europe. 
in February and then uh, heading over to North America. And uh, after that, coming back over to Europe, playing a ton of festivals. Hopefully. I'm not even sure which ones are confirmed yet. There, there will be German ones as well, but uh, I'm not sure which ones are like okayed. And um, I've only seen like tentative schedules. And afterward, I'm hoping that the touring will continue until the very end of the year. We weren't really a big touring band with him. People had their families and stuff like that, so time-wise, it wasn't a problem, but we decided that we're not going to be a really heavy-duty touring band. And, uh, and uh, with this new project of mine, I don't have the restrictions, or it's a new thing, so we're trying to play as much as we can with the, with the guys, and, and we're rehearsing at the, at the time. You know, we, we just finished rehearsals in Helsinki, and once I'm flying back, we're going to continue. It's all sounding good, and it's exciting. Playing hymn songs and the new songs, and back-to-back, and it'll be, a, it'll be a cool set. I think, I'm hoping Hamburg is sold out too, I'm not sure. It is. It yeah. was sold out quick as a whip. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you will love the location, the Fabrik. I've it's, seen pictures of it. It's so yeah. beautiful. It's yeah. historic. Yeah. It's really an old fabric yeah. and yeah. it has so much history and so yeah. rough and it's yeah. kind of not really dirty but dirty. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. They're like a derelict sort of. It has a great feel to it. And then I like the, uh, the, the sort of like the second level that it is all there. And, and I think my mom is coming over. They always travel with a couple of, uh, there's like three, three ladies that always travel to some gigs and I think they're coming over to Fabrik. So it'd be nice. And they haven't been to Hamburg before, so, so it'll, it'll be fun for them as well. The acoustic is awesome. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I just saw um, Sonata Arctica. Oh, they played there. Two, yeah, yeah. two, three weeks ago, yeah. something like that, they had their acoustic shows. Yeah. And they played in Fabric and sounded so beautiful. Okay, okay. We're going to be way louder, so let's see. But uh, it's uh, that's never a problem. Acoustics, are, you know, you can always win them over. You know, if there's a good audience and a good bunch of songs, it doesn't matter. Of course, it helps if there's if it sounds great, but uh, you can't have all of it all the time. So, but um, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's exciting. It feel it's funny how it felt that a lot of stuff moved in sort of slow motion during the pandemic. So there's been a few years, and I wasn't super active. I did a, like a Schlager project in Finland. Uh, with a band called Agents. We released an album with old 70s uh, Finnish pop and schlager songs, and I, we toured with that. It was nice to do that right after him disbanded because it was such a different thing with, for different audiences. And, and uh, it's a long story anyway, but uh, we did that one thing, and right after I started working on the solo thing, and then the pandemic hit. So it's been, I haven't even traveled since uh, him. This is the first time I've traveled abroad. So it feels weird to be on an airplane at an airport and, and speaking in English as well. And then and, and being in Berlin, it's, it's just, it's, it's weird. It's like, a, I'm hoping that it's going to be like a riding a bike. But it's not quite there, I'm still wobbly, you know. But uh, it's a, it, exciting times. But after all that slow motion, you know, uh, it's, uh, now everything seems to be moving super fast. There's so much information that it's, it's quite daunting. But. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm enjoying it, and then I'm really happy that there seems to be people still interested in what I do, because that's not a given. You know, I've been around for quite a bit, and then him weren't doing that much in, in Europe. Uh, we were doing some touring, but not like the, the last album we put out was back in 2013. So it's, it's, it's nearly 10 years. It's a long, long time. So it's, um, it's quite an amazing thing that people still uh, know my name and are interested in the music and, and, uh, and are buying tickets and stuff. Hope they buy the t-shirts too. And, uh, and uh, I, you know, I have a good feeling about it. I'm just hoping that everybody's going to be healthy. And, Where is uh, benefiting the most, right? These days, yeah. yeah a, lot of, a lot of the ticket sales go into the production. That's the way it's always been. And with the rock bands, you know, it's a great way to support an act. Usually it's always the, uh, also the percentages are quite reasonable. So it's not like a record deal sort of thing. You know, at least back in the day, that the record label took most of the money. So, so uh, um so yeah, that's a, that's a good way to support it. and it actually can make it quite a difference. So, but, uh, but let's hope, it's a de- depending on good designs as well, so we're working on that. It'll, it'll be nice. Who did the design? Uh, I, did, I did all that stuff with a, with a graphic designer who, with whom I've been working on several albums before. He's kind of, he's an artist as well, and he, he helps me out. He, he, he was the guy who helped me out with the Neon Noir cover. It's, got, it's a gatefold vinyl with, uh, there's some UV um, lacquer stuff, so stuff w- that is shiny and non-shiny and matte and blah. And, and I know my way around Photoshop a bit, but just like, like uh, converting different file formats, and I don't have an illustrator. I don't know how to do a layout, and uh, so, 
So I, I did most of our stuff by myself. It, it just felt that it's a test. And uh, same with the merchandise. I came up with uh, like 90% of the, of the stuff. And, and uh, then, then my mate helped me out to sort of like realize it and make sure that it prints well and, and uh, that we can do it and all that. So, it, so excited to see. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm building up the pressure. But uh, yeah, but the gig, I think the gig will be good. And then we're playing, you know, the set is, is 50% him, 50% new stuff. And it's back to back. It's like, I think if everything goes well, the set will start with Echolocate Your Love and the second song will be Rip Out the Wings of a Butterfly. So that's the feel of the, of the sort of the set. So it's, it's not like, I, I would never, never liked it when a band comes on and they play like seven new songs and then three old ones or whatever. You know, I like it being more of a combo. And then the, at the end of the day, the songs, the sounds are not so different. They fit very well together, the older songs too. So it's, it's, it's nice. It's like an anthropological journey every night, or at least a personal journey of uh, my evolution as a man. <laughs> Having a concert sold out so quickly like Hamburg did, does this put extra pressure as you think the people are, the fans are expecting more because they haven't seen you in such a long time? Well, if they're true fans, they know that uh, the most important, well, not the most important thing, but what I do is that uh, the only thing I can be is the best me. I can sing the songs, do the best thing songs and do them as well as I can. I can't do much more. Have a good band playing that and, and they sound good and, and that's exactly what we do. So, so uh, no, I'm not worried about expectations in that sense. I think the expectations uh, on yourself are always the worst because you want to be better and you don't want to mess up. And that's, that's normal. That's about everything that is important in life to you sort of gets you the butterflies. It's the same thing with playing gigs. And, and, uh, but, you know, that's what I've been doing for quite a while and with more or less success. So I've messed up and I have did a few good shows back in the day too. So. So uh, I know how, how a good one feels. So I have a good feeling about this. You know? it's, uh, I'm, I'm not worried. I, I, I think I'm excited. It's, it's great that there's going to be hopefully new faces and, and a lot of familiar faces from the past as well. I think it's, it's beautiful. It's great if music can carry through all those years and, and um, hopefully we can make, make all that music justice. That's all we can hope. I don't like the attitude of, yeah, it's going to be the best ever. Because uh, A, I'm not American. B, I'm Finnish. So we don't, we don't brag in advance. We brag in the bar completely drunk afterwards. But since I don't drink, you know, that's not going to happen either. <laughs> What are the thoughts that are going through your mind right before hitting the stage? Where's the, where's the toilet? That's, that's, it's, I think that's routine as well. But uh, it's, uh, uh, I used to puke before gigs as well. It's, I get really nervous, but it's, it's, it's a weird... I know some older people like in their 60s or 70s who've been performers all their lives, they still have the same. It's, you know, that, that you get, it's such a, such a big effect or the chemical change in your body, the adrenaline and all that stuff that you get the shakes and you get a weird feel. Then it's, then as a uh, sort of like semi-professional, I know that, I, that I, you go through it. That's, that's the non-scary part. It's like you feel like you feel really weird, but then you just have to walk through it. And then once on stage, usually it, it eases up. But, uh, and usually what I tend to do is to check that my zipper is closed. That's like, that's the one, one most important thing. And then that you don't have any toilet paper hanging from your shoes. Because that, that, that's not a good look with a, with a dark suit. But people still have that happen, so, so you've you got to be careful. Usually right before a gig, they're very simple. They're, it's a matter of survival because all the hard work has been done before and, and uh, then we, the band is good and the technical crew is good and all that. So there's not a lot to worry about besides the zipper. But the strange feeling having right before the show, like, oh, I'm really shaking, but I know I'm going through this. It's the same with my job. I'm doing this for 20 years yeah. now. In two minutes before an interview, I'm like, oh, But I, I think that what it, what it means is that, uh, that your job or your work or your passion, that it is truly a passion and you care about it. Because there has been maybe two, three shows where I haven't gotten the butterflies before. And those have never been good ones. Because you, your mind and your, kind of your heart is not in the work. And that's just the routine. And that's the best, bad aspect of routine. Good routine is the fact that you don't have to think about the simple things that you can concentrate on the essential and the more emotive parts. But uh, uh, I, I think it's always important, that sort of thing. Uh, but it's in that uh, moment, it's hard to remind yourself about it. Yeah, yeah, it'll be okay, you know. It's like a, 
you know, I don't know why we're doing this, but you know, sort of like putting ourselves to, through uh, self-torture. But uh, it's not that bad. It's good. It's the same with tattoos. Yeah, I should get some more tattoos, maybe on tour. It's been a long time. Usually I've always liked uh, the tattoo artists being friends or the whole thing happening for a reason, not just to get a tattoo. People are different, but that's how it happened to me. I met some tattoo artists and then they did the big, bigger pieces for me. And that's been a long, long time. I remember, and then the different tattoo artists, it hits a different nerve. Dudes, a lot of times, you, you, they are very heavy-handed. And then you have to do a lot of filling afterwards because they're too heavy-handed. Uh, not all of them, but, but uh, from, uh, from my experience. And then I remember Kat Von D did a few like portraits and stuff back in the day, in like 2009, 2010 maybe. And um, she's miraculous in a way that it doesn't really hurt much. And then it heals really fast. And then also uh, you don't have to do any filling. And it stays very well. You know, you don't have to do any, I don't know what you call it, like re-inking later on, which people a lot of times have to do in like 10 years. So she's very good at it. You're confirmed for a couple of festivals in 2023, I saw online, of course. Which ones? I'm not telling you. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I guess it was Rock and Ring. Uh, Rock Park. Rock Park. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because we're, we're working on, on, a, on a, a few festivals. There's a lot of to be confirmed things, and I'm not sorting out the business side. So uh, it's always Antti, my manager, he's, he's giving me the updates maybe once a month where we are and, and uh, I don't want to sort of spoil the excitement by all of a sudden, you know, making a blooper. If you could host a festival by yourself, who would be in the lineup? What kind of a festival? Could yours. it be what kind of a festival? Oh, okay. It's yours. It's your festival. Who would you be in the lineup? the lineup? Okay. Um, uh, the Sisters of Mercy, uh, Turbo Negro. I used to hang out with El Presidente in Hamburg all the time. I, I, I'm one of the few Finnish guys with the St. Pauli Turbojugend, the, the actual the jeans jacket. And um, Queens of Stone Age, Foo Fighters, because I, I, think, I think they're great guys. Um, so pretty much, pretty much just a few average rock festival. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it would be so much different. I think best festivals are the ones that have a variety of different kinds of artists, because then you have the chance of hearing music you've never heard before. Like, uh, I'm not sure if you've ever been to Roskilde in Denmark. You should. It's a fantastic festival. It's got maybe 20 stages or whatever. They're all very, like big tents, like 10,000 capacity tents, and you can have Erika Badu playing at the same time as Sex Pistols and ACDC and Ministry. And, it's, it's, it's amazing the, the way how they book the festival. Uh, a lot of times festivals are very genre-oriented, genre which I do understand, especially with metal. It's, uh, but, uh, but then again, metal is so varied as well with like Heilung or Heilung, I don't know how to pronounce it, or, or Kaila Mikla, the Icelandic band, who are not metal, but they still, for whatever, or Anathema back in the day. The metal is so, so such a vast world to itself, but. Uh, but those sorts of all over crossover festivals have always been my favorite. So if I'd actually create a festival, I'd probably just um, wear a blindfold and just you know pick a few few random random uh, pieces of paper from a hat with band names on them. That that would pr probably be the best one. No, really, it's uh, you know the best festivals like that. You know, like Roskilde back in the day it was amazing. Seeing the Cardigans and then seeing Slayer and then seeing. Sex Pistols, then same ministry, and then I think it was Erika Badu, and then it was later. But just all sorts of stuff. It's it's beautiful. That's the that's the power of music, you know. That you bang your head and then you smoke a joint or do whatever. That was when I was younger and a rebel. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but, yeah, festivals good. And I, I'm not sure Rock and Ring and Rocky Park. They're so big as festivals. They're not the ones that you'd really hang out in. It was more like. Hurricane and Southside and back in the day, or even the smaller one like uh, Gothic Wave Treffen and, and, uh, and some, some of that sort of stuff I, I remember better because those were the ones that you, you would actually, there would actually be a lot of bands that you could hang around with because the dressing areas were the same. A lot of bigger festivals, the dressing area, you have several diff different dressing areas. You actually don't get to meet uh, another band so much. So, um, so uh, you can easily play 10 festivals not really seeing. They feel more like gigs because you don't have the time or, or the, the possibility of hanging, hanging around with different bands. So the ones that have a bit more communal, communal sense are a bit more special. But, uh, but uh, there are those two. But we'll see. We'll see how it happens. Last time around, Rockin' Park, I think, or, or whatever. I'm, I'm, I saw Dave Grohl. He came to our dressing room to say hi. I met him a couple of times. As, as everybody knows, he's the nicest man in rock. 
and he's he, he's a sweetheart indeed. Indeed, it was they were playing with them, them crooked vultures, and it was funny because the rest of the guys hadn't met him before, and they they were so starstruck. It was great. Like 15 minutes before our gig, they were like all giddly. <laughs> but that's the cool thing about being in rock band too. We're still fans, you know, or being a solo artist. I'm still a fan, you know, and and get giddly and you know, all that. That's good. It would be terrible any other way. I guess my last time at Rock and Ring, Rock and Park was 2005, 2006. Okay. And for me, it was really hard to survive this kind of festival yeah. because in the campground, yeah. all the different genres meet. When you go oh, okay. to a metal festival, yeah. you know there's beer, there's yeah. barbecue, mm -hmm. and everybody's fine. Yeah. Yeah. If you go to a, a techno, Party, you know, mm. everybody's on LSD and mm. MDNA and whatever. And on the campgrounds at Rock and yeah. Ring, they mix. And this well, is, quite is it a bad mix? It is a bad mix. Oh, okay. It's quite explosive. I really yeah. did not like the atmosphere in the campground. Is well, the s s solution to all that is, is to be in a band and never stay at a campground. <laughs> Do this I've been uh, in Roskilde. I've been a tent. That's where I, that, that's the only festival I've been uh, in as a tourist. And uh, other festivals I've always been playing. So of course we get to see the festivals from a very different perspective. But at, at its best, the festival for musician is a great way of meeting other artists. Maybe the best. And in that sense, uh, uh, festivals with a wide variety of music is more interesting than just to see your friends. You know, because meeting new people from different different genres of music or whatever, it just it's a great way of, of coming up with new ideas and, and maybe new collaborations and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. collaborations is a good point. Um, in the past, you did some music with Apocalyptica, with Natalie Avalon and you. stuff. Are you still open for this at the moment, or is it solo music time right now? Um, well, no, I think. Um, I think always a, uh, doing like a duet or collaborating with, on a song with somebody, it needs to happen for a right reason. There has to be something that clicks musically or idea-wise. It has to be something a bit left of a center as well to me, some, a bit weird. So it's not the thing that people would necessarily expect the most. And, um, and uh, I've done a, quite a few things uh, during the years and maybe I'm just waiting for the right one, a right project in, in that sense because it's... Uh, it's also you wear yourself out and your name out if you do everything. Of course, there's been people asking me to participate, but I'll try to keep it to, let's say, to a decade. It makes it more special that way too, because it, it, at least with the hip hop and everything, you know, it's, it's so based on featuring this and featuring that. It's like second nature. I don't think it fits rock and roll too well. And especially, well, it does fit rock and roll if the artist is not all this stupid too because I don't want to diss any hip-hop artists but I, I mean that let's say the kind of music I do it would feel to it would feel weird to to have somebody doing do it on my song about my lyrics expressing how I feel you know you have like the song I did with uh, Lauri from the Rasmus and then Apocalyptica we we wrote our own parts and we really discussed the whole the vibe of the song and the whole story of the song and how we would put it and that made it interesting but um but yeah it's a complex question. I don't have an answer, uh, answer to that. Maybe I'm just a bit lazy or whatever. But uh, it's, um, I'm, I'm one of the few people that don't really think in commercial terms. Maybe that's my downfall. I think in terms of doing something that's cool and different. And, this, and I'm not sure if it ends up being cool, but then again, everything's cool again in the next 20 years. Isn't that about the circle of like bell bottoms of art and fashion, you know? So I think I'm kind of like, I'm always like 20, two decades late. Like now I'm getting like on Neon Noir, there's all these like, like early 90s indie sort of things happening with the guitars and all that stuff. So maybe I'm almost cool because of that. 20 years late and right at the time. Yeah, I'm like a time traveler. If you could time travel, would you travel to the past or to the future? What time exactly? Just for taking a look, not for staying. Hmm. Either or, but really far away. I think that that's the only thing that really makes sense, you know, like 2,000 years in the, into the future or 100,000 years back. Be interesting to see the planet, you know, before the dawn of man, you know, something like that. But it, it, thinking of it in historical terms, in any historical, uh, I think the, the frustrating and the cool thing about life is the fact that, uh, uh, that we don't know what's going to happen next second. And uh, we have the past that we're trying to learn something from, but we really don't. 
that much. We're trying to bit by bit, but uh, I think that's the that's the sort of the endearing aspect of being a human being. So we're kind of silly. I think Aika from Apocalyptica mm. uh, tried to fool me, and I want you to confirm or not. Okay. <laughs> He said in Finnish, there's a word for sitting at home alone and your underwear drinking. Is that true? Close it again. That's probably the word he meant. It means you're uh, it's like underwear drunk. It's like the word is like getting drunk in your underwear. Kalsari is underwear and gannit is to get drunk. And it's just, yeah, it's basically drink it by yourself and, uh, you know, watch Italian get it messed up. I think everybody's done it once or twice in their lives, but uh, that's always the sort of like the epitome of being, being in need of help. So maybe it was a cry of help when Eka told you about it. Perhaps. No, he's such a nice guy. He's, yeah, I haven't seen him in many, many years. So uh, it's, uh, I saw him at a festival maybe five, six years ago. But uh, he, he, he's a fun guy. He's been around for a long time too. So he's seen all sorts of changes in the music you know, world and, and he's toured quite a bit. And it, it's such a weird and such a Finnish uh, thing to happen, a band playing Metallica and cellos and then continuing for like 30 years or something, 25 years, I think. So uh, it's, it's quite a weird... You know, that's, that's how the Finns are a bit weird. We don't know what is, what, what is reasonable. And uh, we're, quite, um, we're quite sort of like um, uncompromising. And uh, that's, that's our downfall in a way, but also, also the good thing about being quite honest and true and then, um, yeah, quite real. So take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> One last question regarding your songwriting. Oh. How does... A Ville Valo songwriting works. Are these, is it sitting in the studio working? Or is it shower thoughts? Or is it walking through a supermarket and then a melody comes up? What is it? Well, I think it's a combination of all those things. Most of us musicians, they say that you, you, you should keep your antennas um, um, on at all times. Because I, I think it's a com usually musical ideas come from a combination of experiences. So they can be whatever experiences, smells and food and, and conversations and all that stuff goes down into your brain somewhere and, and uh, then it pops out. It's a For me, it's always uh, music and lyrics, they're like association games. A little, really, just a couple of notes, a little piece of a melody can bring me back to 80s or, or to whatever, you know. Uh, and uh, I think that's very important. So with, with my music, I always try to build a sort of association game for myself to I don't do it necessarily by intellectual basis I would start a song that I would now do do, do it as an association game but uh, it ends up being like that a lot a lot of times same with words they can be as you know like a, no, not, not, not like necessarily safe words but like triggers there's a words that, that trigger certain emotion, emotional things that are very personal they only to me because that's how I've learned the word and its meaning and uh, so That's the thing I dealt with a lot on the on the new album, and more I was more picky and going into more details regarding all those associations, which makes it more important to me, because uh, I'm very personal. Because it's, it's not so. In other words, the melody of the song and the lyric of the song and the music of the song are only half the, half the story, you know, because I have the underlying uh, little stories in there, and that makes all the difference in the world to me, because that creates those. Juxta, juxtaposition is the word, I think, of the light and the dark, the happiness and the sadness. Because a word can be sad, but it can bring happy, happy memories. But you know, if you glue that word to another word that has another history, then that brings another story. So it actually becomes quite a complex set of uh, associations. And I find that really interesting. That's how I read books, you know, not my own. I haven't written one, but, uh, you know, I get lost in thoughts and get lost in words and sentiments and, and phrases and ideas. So, so I'm a bit of a, I don't know, a daydreamer, I think. I'd call myself in that sense. But, uh, but that, that's, that's a new thing for me, to be more, sort of like more really de uh, like deep dive into the song. And because I was working on one song at a time, it, it enabled me Uh, for my world to be uh, only that song at that time. So I wasn't working on a gazillion different idea, ideas, but, but it was all, my, all my focus went into one song, one melody and one lyric at a time and one production. So uh, it, gave it gave it a special meaning. I'm not sure whether people can hear it. But then, then again, you know, in music, the process is also very important. And if, if, the, if the process is meaningful to the person who creates it, then, 
then it has to all, uh, in other words, it has to be meaningful. You know, if it, otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense to do it. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it has several steps, the whole story. You know. Is there any song you're not able to play anymore because you cannot handle the emotion that comes up? I think songs change along the way a lot of times. And a lot, a lot of times um, you always re remember the, the original emotion. But uh, by performing and by living life, you always find new things in there. And uh, the, the lyrics of youth can be endearing in their honesty or in their blue-eyedness. Or, uh, so, no. I just, you know, the simple answer is no, I don't find them any more painful. I just find some of them shit. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the reason not to play them. But, uh, but also, uh, also, there's also the thing that, uh, that I've enjoyed um, quite a tremendous success, to be honest about it all, with a few songs. So, of course, it means that those songs mean something to other people as well, which means that, of course, I will sing them and play live so there's there's various stories of the songs and they're not one-sided you know i have my view on the song but uh but uh, when the song is released then people make it live you know live and and uh, i think music is at its best when it's the background music for something important in your life those are the great moments like you know your first kisses and you know uh, for, for whatever reason i started thinking about that but those sort of things, because you remember that, that's, that's always the emotional trigger, and that's what I meant by the lyrics and the little pieces of melody that remind me of something when I'm writing about them. That's how, how it makes a really intricate, like a puzzle or a house of cards. Um, that, that makes it important to me, and hopefully through that, um, uh, it, sort of, it will one way or the other resonate with people too. But, but you never know, you never know. And that's the beauty of music too. You don't have to like the artist to like the song, or you don't have to like the process of what went through, or you don't have to like the lyrics to actually just sing along. That's, that's, that's the beauty of it all too. But it still doesn't mean that, I, that I, I wouldn't have to care about it to be able to put the song together in its first place. And, and being an old dog, you know, old, old you know, new tricks or whatever, the, however the saying goes, you know, you have to do something. You have to be able to keep yourself on your toes I think it's important in life in general, you know, to sort of have sort of sense of the butterflies. If, if everything's too mellow and too easy going and too stale and zombified, you know, it's, that's not life. Not, not for me, at least. I guess that was the most beautiful answer to this question. That was a, that was a really long one. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, uh, so let's come to a quite light question. Yeah. What do you stream on Netflix at the moment? Oh, wow. So there's, uh, Oh, uh, there's something that just came out. Is it Inside Man? Just like a series that came out, like, I think it's David Tennyson or whatever his name is, uh, is on that. Uh, um, I think the best Netflix series and movies are the ones that you forget all about after you watch them. That's, that's the beauty of, of Netflix and, and all those streaming platforms, that they, they take you away for a second, and then once after that you feel sort of refreshed, and uh, you can continue living your life. You know, but, uh, but, uh, but I think, you know, as I discussed earlier, you know, it was, um, it was an important uh, safety measure for all of us to have, a, have you know, the streaming plat platforms or whatever. So I think HBO had the I May Destroy You, that series, which I highly recommend. I think that was amazing. Uh, one of the, that, but that was, it was a couple of years back. And nearly won an Emmy. It's, an, uh, it's a UK production. But you should check it out. It's, it's, it's a great, great set of TV, like a TV series like no other before it. The way of, it's, I can't, I shouldn't be, and it's not too arty. I don't mean it that it's crazy or weird. It is weird, but it's, it's like life. It's, uh, it's at times tough to watch. It's funny and it's endearing and it's sweet and it's horrifying and it's everything in the same series. It's, it's amazing. It's a one person who plays the lead and uh, who wrote the whole story. It's a, it's a, Fascinating new voice. Yeah, that's, that's, well, I highly recommend it because a lot of people haven't watched it. It's, uh, the theme of the series is not something that feels uh, very intriguing. It took me a while to, to, uh, to uh, start watching that too. But anyway, yeah. but that's HBO. I don't know. But do you get HBO here in Germany? Yeah. But they, where, where there's a will, there's always a way. <laughs> So, and I think that somebody else is going to be uh, putting it out. I'm not sure if it was an HP production or if it came out, if they bought it from another company. But I may destroy you. 
it's a weird name for a series too, but that, that, was, a, that was a really good one. I, you know, after that, I, I felt that I, I had seen something very, I was sort of like, you know, I feel different. It was a good group. Same, same with, with, with uh, Parasite, the Korean film. I really enjoyed it. I thought that was great because the one Korean film before was Old Boy, many, many years ago. And that had the same sort of similar, that you don't know whether it's laugh or cry. And it's very emotional. And it's, it's, they play, their sense of drama is amazing. Sort of because it plays on different set of rules and our and and the sort of like American drama we're used to, so ev everything changed a bit when the rules are changed, and I think we need more of that in music, in life, and and on Netflix. Yeah, sorry for a long answer again. Started thinking about all these series. <laughs> so um, Christmas is coming up. What is annoying with Christmas? Um, I don't think anything is annoying about Christmas. The, the, you have to be prepared. You know, if if something is annoying, is is shopping on the last day right before Christmas, or shopping on Christmas Eve, but that's your own mistake and your own fault. You know, you can start purchasing Christmas presents right after Christmas. That's what I do. You know, if I get a good idea, I just uh, write it down and start working that my way around that like that. But. Uh, no, I think you know Christmas is one of your, at least for a musician, it's the only time when you don't tour, and it's the the only excuse to hang around with the family, and so it's a good tradition to have, and I think that it's uh, it's yeah, it's one of the one of the only ones I still have left. So I, I don't want to I don't want this Christmas, not at all. There's nothing annoying about it besides being fat right after, but that's your own fault again. So it's all good. That's true. As you can see, I'm wearing a band t-shirt, yeah. as every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have band shirts at home? In which oh, yeah, 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 I do. I used to collect quite a few and, and old ones. I still have the first one I ever purchased, which was November 16th, 1988. Iron Maiden playing somewhere on tour in Helsinki. That was my first gig ever. Wasp were supporting, and I still have the shirt. It's all like, I can't wear it so small, and then it has all holes in it and stuff, but I, I've kept that. And uh, I, have, I have bands shows by like The Sisters Mercy, um, like old ones, Fields of an Ephilim. Uh, Jeff from Carcass gave me some really early Carcass shirts. Uh, and uh, same with Lee Dorian, who got one of the earliest uh, Cathedral shirts. And um, I'm a huge fan of both Carcass and, and Cathedral and, and uh, that sort of stuff. And when, when on tour and when touring with different bands, I actually do have quite a few shows by the support acts. and, and uh, and, and the other way around, if we've been supporting somebody, you know, trying to get something, do some swaps at the merch table. It's always fun. So I, I do have a ton. I'm not wearing any now. But this is actually this merch too. This is from a Finnish club called Lutakko in a city called Jyväskylä. I don't know why, it's comfy. So this club that's been there forever, always touring, like maybe 600 capacity. Club shows are cool. I like club shows. Um, yeah, it's, they're more intimate, they're more sweaty, they're more special, but then or they feel like that to me, but then again, big, big concerts can be fantastic as well, but there's a different set of talent. I'm not sure if I could handle it, uh, but uh, like, let's say example, you 2 I've always been, I've seen them a few, two, like maybe two times or something, but they're the one, one band that, uh, that they can meet, make, a, make a stadium feel very comfortable. Like Bono is great in that. You don't even have to like the music. I, I like the music. I love Dachdom Baby. I thought that was a fantastic album. And uh, because it wasn't that, around the same time as when uh, Songs of Faith and Devotion came out. So it was like a changing of the more sort of like electronic and alternative and all that mainstream coming together. It was a fascinating time. And, uh, and I remember seeing, seeing you, two, you two and it was just, yeah, it was amazing how heartfelt it can feel even though you're hundreds of meters away and you can't really see shit. So. So, um, so where there's a will, one, once again, there is a way. But, uh, but I, I've, never, I've never been schooled, never had the chance to play really big venues uh, myself, so I, I feel a bit weird about them. A lot of times they're a bit cold, or then the entrances are not nice, and the security is not nice, the toilets, because a lot of times they have uh, sports arenas, and sports arenas don't have the feel of a club where you have the smell and the beer on the floors, and it, it's a different, like, you know, like Gross Freiheit compared to... Um, like the sports something, I can't remember what it is, uh, sports holler, whatever. It, it is a totally a different experience. But um, of course the gig can be fantastic and it can be emotive in, in, in both. But yeah, I'm, I'm a club person. I, I, love, I love the sense of uh, community. Also uh, the musician being part of the, part of the crew, 
part of the club and part of the uh, part of the audience as well. That we're kind of on the same level. I mean, it's more real as opposed to just being put on a pedestal. But uh, with some some sorts of bands like Kiss or whatever, you know, it works fantastic or worked. But I've understood that they're touring again, you know. So I'm, I'm not sure what's happening with them. But uh, or Iron Maiden or any of those big old school bands. But uh, but then again, you know, I'd love to see. Like the, uh, who did the, uh, Oliver Stone did the concert video of uh, the DVD of the Rolling Stones playing that smaller club gig. I think that that would have been amazing. See people with that sort of charisma on a smaller stage and actually get to see them proper close to you. I saw Kiss at Gloob and it's a big uh, sports arena, like 20 grand in, in uh, when they came back in 96, I think it was in, in Stockholm. And uh, that was great. I was I was really close to the stage, and that was an, such an amazing experience, being like close to my idols. So you know, it's a, a, both ways work. But but yeah, club 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 is a world world to itself. It's not only about the gig. And then a good club is the one that you go to maybe hundreds of times, and you hang out there on your spare time, and it's easy to go to see random bands play because that's important too. It's not just always paying paying a high price ticket once a year and going to see. Whomever, the cure. Yeah. Very last question. Right on. Last question is not a question, but oh, okay. make a wish. Out loud or in my head. Which one? Well, that's, that's um, you know, um, I'm hoping and wishing that there will be one night that people can sleep there, nights in peace, all over globally. I'm hoping, I'm hoping and wishing for world peace. That's my own, you know, people are asking me if, uh, what's my wish for Christmas or what's my wish for birthday, you know. I'm always saying that because I'm hoping that if enough people say it will become true. Perhaps. It doesn't hurt to try because it's a good thing to happen. You know, some sentimentality has to be. Maybe a Fender or acoustic guitar or whatever, but that's another story. Thank you for a beautiful, beautiful interview. Oh, I've won it. Nice that we've had some time. It's always good to. Whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Subscribe to our channel for more rocking podcasts.